Afternoons with Pepper Hudson. Hudson. And now, Consumer Talk, featuring Wendy Nola. Well, it's always a pleasure to welcome consumer journalist Wendy Nola to the show. She joins us from a studio in Durban today, and we're going to start with two follow-ups on previous consumer complaints. Before we move on to today's topic, one that always gets the blood pressure up a bit, shrinkflation and other packaging woes. After 1.30, it's an open line where you can phone in on any topic to do with consumer relations on 0214460567, or, of course, leave a voice note on 0725671. One five six seven. Uh, welcome, Wendy. Always great to have you with us. Thanks, Pippa. Hello. Always good to be with you. Now, we're going to start where we were last week. We were talking about airline gripes, and a, a voice we note came in towards the end of the show from one of our listeners, Teresa Rooney, complaining that she'd been unable to get through to travel start on any of their advertised numbers at times that they claimed they would be available. And then right mm. after that voice note, we got an SMS from another listener, Aidan, saying he'd had a similar experience. And I quote, you cannot make changes to bookings made with them other than through them, but I struggled to get through to their call center, only managed to do so after three hours. Uh, Wendy, I know you committed last week to getting Travel Start's response, and I also know you spoke to Teresa off-air to get a fuller understanding of her story. What was Travel Start's feedback? Okay, so I got this from Travel Start's Chief Marketing Officer, Jerome Tooze. He said, I'm aware that some of our customers have experienced difficulties in the past to get through to an agent quickly. However, this is an area we have certainly worked very hard towards, and I'm pleased to report that those efforts have paid off, and we are now achieving an average of just over two minutes waiting time. That's a far cry from three hours. Yeah. That said, we will keep working on this to ensure our customers get a better experience. With regard to Teresa's specific case, Jerome said we can see that she emailed us on the 12th of May at about 6 o'clock in the evening. We provided her with an answer and with a quote at 9.47 p.m. In the end, we didn't hear back from her and she did not confirm the change and flew with the original ticket booked. Um, so that was that. Okay. Um, and then did you hear any further feedback from Teresa yes. herself? Yes, Jerome had undertaken to contact her directly, and he did so. Teresa came back to us to say that she'd received that call, and she said our conversation was very productive, and he offered me a voucher, which I definitely wasn't expecting. It was so refreshing to talk to someone who wanted to listen. So nice save there, travel start. Okay, nice. And, and isn't um, that just the nub of consumer-customer relations? It was refreshing to hear somebody who sounded like they wanted to listen. Isn't it just? Yeah. Yes, because that, that communication breakdown or mismatches at the heart of so much of what lands up in my inbox so yeah Yeah. let's let's hope for some more of that let's indeed okay we also have a follow-up on a story we shared with you in july uh the story of wendy kutzer and you may recall this one uh, we told you how she had discovered she was still being debited close to a hundred man every month for insurance on a cell phone that she hadn't been using for years she'd taken it out via mtn with pinnacle marketing and uh, uh the the reference on her bank statement every month simply said monitor and she didn't know what that was and she'd taken quite a while to try and trace where this money mm. was going every month. Uh, when did you just remind us how much money she'd forked out in, 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 the, in the years? Over well, the it years. totaled <laughs> since 20, well, she stopped using the phone in 2014. So since then, she'd paid 4,759 rand in premiums to insure a cell phone that she wasn't using. And the last communication she got about it from the um, insurance company, uh, marketing company Pinnacle, was an SMS in 2015. So at the time we went to air, you may remember Wendy was in the studio with me, all yes. three of us. Um, in the studio, she hadn't been refunded, and we 
uh, urged her to pursue it. And I'm happy to report that she did so, and now she has that money, 4,795 rand. Pinnacle told her that because of the so-called unusual circumstances of her case, they were willing to refund her. Um, So definitely worth uh, sharing that outcome and also using it as another reminder to all of us to check that we aren't paying cell phone insurance um, on a phone that we last used some years ago or even a year ago. Um, it's very common that people are, 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 you know, the debit orders keep going off and people don't notice or don't know what yeah. it's for. And, and so the money keeps going off. Um, so nice ending for that particular case, though. Great. Well, thanks for the feedback on both of those. OK, let's move on to today's topic. Uh, and it's an old faithful shrinkflation yes. rearing its ugly head again. And Wendy, it's Coca-Cola again. It's Coca-Cola time. They did announce this last year, but Coca-Cola's new smaller cans are now a reality. They're starting to appear in, in shops. This month, the 440 milliliter can is now 400 mils, and the 330 um, is now 300. I remember reporting when it went from 370, I think it was, or 360 to 330. So, so the, the mini me's keep happening. Um, and here's the thing, Pippa: the recommended selling retail selling price is the same. So it's reduced. They're reducing by 40 mils and 30 mils respectively, but the price is staying the yeah. same, except in the case of the um, sugar-free or low-sugar versions. The, the, the can size is dropping, and so is the price by a whole one rand uh, in what has been referred to by the company in internal correspondence as fantastic, a fantastic value proposition. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, pull the other one. So, okay. So yeah, so these new slimmer cans, um, as I say, started being introduced this month, and clearly anticipating consumer unhappiness about what has become known as, as you say, a shrinkflation, um, which is passing on increases um, rather stealthily by downsizing the pack rather than just putting the price up on the existing pack. Um, anticipating some sort of kickback, the company prepared a Q&A for um, their retailers, one of whom kindly forwarded it to me. Mm-hmm. So very interesting reading it is. On the one hand, Coca-Cola claims that the downsizing has been done in order to meet consumer demand. There's apparently been some research done. Consumer demand for the preferred smaller, more convenient packs, hmm. unquote. And on the other, they're saying instead of raising the list price of our cans, we decided to reduce the package sizes so that we can provide the delicious and quality beverages our customers expect at a fair price. And notices of, uh, I've seen uh, Coca-Cola sent me going into stores around about now saying, showing the new cans, slimline cans, saying great taste at an affordable price now and a 400 milliliter can. Of course, what that notice could say is now in a small and more convenient can but we don't really want to use the word smaller yeah because then they're actually (laughs) it's just more convenient you understand i'm not quite sure how it's convenient to get less product for the same money but uh wendy i know you did invite a a representative from coca-cola sa to join us on air today and they couldn't supply anybody to do so did they at least give you some uh, formal comment yes i was told uh no one from the comms team was able to commit um, but they did send me a statement, um, the pertinent parts reading, the move is a result of ongoing work to regularly review all our pack sizes to ensure that we're being responsive to global and local market dynamics. We know people are interested in smaller, more convenient packages. I really would like to hear from our listeners about that. Yeah. Smaller, more convenient packages. Um, uh, 
so we are committed to promoting and offering our beverages in the packages they want, along with options that fit into their different lifestyles. We always try to keep a balance between our pricing and our input costs. The decision was made after careful consideration of the current cost pressures within our supply chain um, to not change the price of the pack sizes. Um, so as I said, only with the low sugar or zero sugar um, variants are, are, will consumers be paying less for the smaller can, just. Mm. Um, but um, with the others, I'm afraid you're paying more for this. Uh, sorry, you're paying the same amount for of less money of the for products. less. Yeah. But hey, you've got a more convenient can. So but convenient <laughs> how? I'm, I'm interested to know I, where I, this, this convenience issue comes you know, from, because what is more convenient about the smaller can? That's what I'd like to understand. What is more convenient about having 30 or 40 milliliters less? Those slimmer cans will, as far as I'm concerned, just wobble around in a car's cup holder that's designed to take a bigger can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And of course, Pippa, this also follows the recent shrinking of, Co- of, of Coke's um, Buddy uh, bottle from yes. 500 mils to 440 mils. And interestingly, that was positioned as being part of the company's commitment to reducing consumers' sugar intake, which Take, which is a global imperative, um, but in a in a in the case of a product which is so sugar rich, you that's know, it's a, little a little rich, bit yeah, of a, of a wobbly argument, I think. So, so there we are. Okay, um, really would like to hear listeners' comments on the smaller, more convenient, and and, and how yes, that maybe somebody understands better than we do what's more convenient <laughs> about a smaller and, and, can, and how they've been demanding this, according to to Coca-Cola. There's yeah. a demand for a smaller, more convenient can. So let's, let's, let's talk about that. I, there, there's really a question in from, from Shan on the WhatsApp saying, asking rather, why do the cool drink companies charge the same price for soda water as they do for other drinks when there's no flavoring or added sugar? That is a fair point. The ingredients are quite substantially different. Uh, is it fair to market them at the same price? Well, I, my consumer journalist answer to that would be we're really paying for the not so much for the product, but for the bu- the packaging, for the packaging, yep. and the marketing, which is massive. Coca Cola, you know, can you can imagine? Yeah, and the distribution and all of that. Not so much for the actual stuff that goes down our throats. So it's actually a minimal difference uh, in, minimal in the difference. grand scheme. When you okay. factor in all the costs that go into getting that product, um, not only into the stores, but for us to choose to put it into our yeah. trolleys. Somebody else asking whether yeah. the two liter Coke bottle is going to be affected or whether that stays the same price. Do you know, Wendy? I have no insight until on that one. I'm afraid but uh yeah um could i mean if you if you extrapolate that out we'd be looking at a 1.8 liter i suppose instead yeah. of a two liter but when you think about it i mean it, what it must cost to repackage well that's exactly to, what someone's so just really pointed down, out on the whatsapp yes. wendy saying i wonder what the cost was to make new molds for the production of the new can size new printing rollers would have had to be changed to accommodate and, that and add and to this yeah. marketing yeah etc yeah. and through why well, go through all those expenses for a, for us not particularly substantially smaller can it is quite mind-boggling well, I suppose if you if you, if yeah, you sell as much as they the, do, I guess that's all volume, yes. Yeah, um, and this is a global. This is not a Coca Cola issue. This is a global um, food manufacturer issue, and not just food. I mean, it's happening to soap, exactly, and to, yeah. and to chip, uh, tissues, and whatever dog food is a big one where they're making the the, the pack sizes ever you know from eight kilograms to seven kilograms and they look the same size and consumers don't really notice so they're not comparing like with like between brands it is a massive issue and to a certain extent i can understand 
the rationale around people only being able to afford a certain amount for a certain product when it comes to say a premium product like honey let's get back to honey yeah starting to see i'm starting to see honey in quite small little jars where you never would before so that somebody who can't spend 60 65 rand then can just can spend 30 for a smaller amount yeah yeah, but you have to wonder where this trend will end. Are we all going to, you know, it can't stop at little Barbie house sizes. It's yeah. got to, <laughs> sooner or later they've got to say, okay, this is, we can't go smaller than this amount. It's just becoming silly. Mm. Um, so it is a, it's a really interesting phenomenon and one that I've been tracking for about a decade. Yeah. Um, um, here and in other countries. But consumers always push back against it, but... It, it's, it's showing no signs of abating. Yeah. Um, Interesting comment on the WhatsApp from Donovan, who's pointing out that uh, while cool drinks may be decreasing in size, beer is going up. He says SAB <laughs> used to sell 440 mils of beer. Now it's 500. Their 750 mil beer is now available in a one liter bottle. So alcohol increases in packaging while cool drinks decrease. Interesting well, observation. It is an interesting observation. I attended um, a judging of um, Gold Pack, which is the Oscars of the packaging industry in this country. And um, that one liter beer bottle and the one that's slightly smaller, 950 mils, I think, is uh, it was the bottle itself was entered as a as a pack okay. in the competition. And so there was a lot of discussion around it and motivation. And the one has a screw top. So that the argument there could be that you drink the amount of beer you would normally have and then keep the, the rest for later and keep it keep the rest for later um and then in that way saving a whole lot of packaging okay about the so there, there are many goes, facets to this because yeah, it could go flat as it, as we've been discussing on the breakfast well, show yesterday that. yeah i raised that but then people don't have that issue when it comes to a fizzy drink do they i mean it's no one thinks well i'm not going to buy a liter because you know if i only drink well, um, half, no. then the rest is going to go flat. Or do they? I don't I'm know going to disagree with you because I do. I had a conversation on the breakfast show yesterday about the fact that we still use a soda stream machine to make soda water because I'd rather uh, pay. I mean, it is expensive to buy the soda stream refills. <laughs> uh, but but um, if I buy soda water, particularly in a bottle, you end up pouring um, a, a, a large okay. chunk down the drain okay. because it's gone flat, no matter how hard you okay. try and close that cap again. <laughs> so um, I, uh, somebody else pointing out here, perhaps the smaller size is considered more convenient because the contents would fit into a standard size glass with bigger ones you always have left over in the can just a thought okay we also, also got maybe you could get more into a, into a little cooler pack but now i'm really stretching mm. we've got two voice notes as well let's take a listen to those hey papa that's a bunch of bs <laughs> smaller more convenient for the same price i mean come on man you know we as consumers you want a, a option if I want to buy less, then there should be one that's less. I'll buy the smaller can. But if I want to pay for 500 mil, I want to get 500 mil, not 440, whatever it is. These people, you know, if they're worried about our health that much, then they must close shop down and they must leave the country. But obviously, we don't really want that. But I mean, come on, we're not, we're not dumb. My opinion on this uh, can versus bottle situation, the plastic bottle, um, you now decrease this, the quantity of the amount stored inside the unit and um, that means that if you then, it means you're going to want to drink more cool drink because you're not getting as much cool drink and it then also means that um, there's an increase in plastics and tins and the thing is the majority of people 
that buy these items don't recycle. So it means that it's not even going to a recycle plant. So it just means that there's more waste. It's, I think it's, this is actually a very wasteful, um, wa uh, like a fruitless, wasteful endeavor on Coca-Cola's part. Um, yeah, it's not good for the environment. Wendy, that issue of packaging that's not good for the environment is one of the very common um, packaging complaints you receive uh, when it comes to overpackaging in particular. Yes, loads and loads of complaints from an envi environmental perspective where people are saying um, certainly with products that are deliberately overpackaged in order to look bigger on shelf, in order to, to make us feel that our spend is more warranted. And an extreme example of this is cosmetics, and most women will relate to this. Yep. If you go and buy 15 mils of anything, eye cream comes to mind. It's, it's always in a big box with all sorts of other forms of packaging in there by the time you get to this tiny little tube of um, – I mean, they don't package um, – you know, eye drops or, you know, those other small little tubes like that because, you know, they don't have to. But when it comes to cosmetics, then they do, mm. um, which which leads, you know, with volume to an incredible amount of wasted packaging. Um, another, mo even more common than that, I get is breakfast cereals. So those huge boxes with the packet yes. inside with loads of empty space. It's called ullage, which comes from the sort of wine beer industry. So the, 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 the empty space basically in the package that's not filled with what we're actually buying. Um, and the manufacturers will always come with the argument that it's to protect one of packaging's Packaging has many functions, and one of them, one of its prime ones, is, is obviously to protect the product. And they'll say it's done to protect the product and because, you know, there's – um, pressure variances um, we've got to allow for that when the product's traveling around and whatever but um, I think when you look at the amount of overpackaging that happens there um, it's hard to argue the case that it's only about that it's yeah. it's definitely there's an element of um, creating a, a misperception on the consumer on the, for the consumers that they're getting more than they actually are Cape Talk, Consumer Talk. You can send us a WhatsApp voice note now on 072-567-1567. So let's just carry on the uh, the packaging, a uh, couple of packaging comments and calls before we move into the open line segment. Wendy, I mean, you were chatting before the break about those extreme examples, the tiny eye cream that comes in the massive jar inside a massive box wrapped in thick plastic, etc. the breakfast cereals. Really, though, a lot comes down to what we as consumers are prepared to accept. Uh, do you think we should be more vocal in pushing back against the brands and particularly the, the sort of rangers who, who are guilty of this overpackaging? Well, of course I'm going to say yes, and there's never been a better time to do it because we have social media, we have cell phones armed with cameras and even videos if we want. And um, if it's something – I would suggest, though, to get comment from – not to make assumptions about the packaging and the reasons for it and whether it's recyclable or not and all of that, to actually source um, comment from the company first before – you know, doing the whole name and shame because it might not be on on the mark. So mm -hmm. um, I, I would 
caution to do it responsibly. But absolutely, if if it is the case, I mean, my bugbear is some of these cool drink products that come out in very lurid plastic bottles that um, if you speak to a plastics recycler will say, you know, they they are ejected by the collectors, the armies of collect, uh, the army of collectors out there on the streets, um, because they're worth, they're virtually worthless. So they they are the ones that remain as litter or end up in the landfill, which is what we don't want. And so we should be putting pressure on those companies to say, you know, do you really still need to put your product in that lurid red bottle to? attract the kids do you know what I mean there's a whole lot of things wrong with that so absolutely I think um, it's only when you know if it's going to hurt them in their in in their pocket if they're going to suffer reputational damage because of their decisions that aren't environmentally friendly as they should be in 2018 then um, they might reconsider absolutely okay uh, Chris on the WhatsApp saying, my feeling is they're trying to reduce their production, the raw material cost of the tin by making it smaller. I'm sure it has something to do with the sugar tax. Um, uh, maybe by changing it down to 400 mils, they're making a saving, but just not passing it on to their customers. Uh, Chris's view is that Coca-Cola has had a monopoly for many years. They've become complacent and greedy, and now they are outpricing themselves and will lose market share to the likes of Jive and Pepsi, etc. Chris feels it's good that they should have stronger competition. Um, uh, that's the risk they run, isn't it, Wendy? That consumers feel that way, that the, the, the knee-jerk reaction is, I think you're doing this to try and save a quick buck at my expense. It It is if it isn't communicated yeah. properly. When you've got mixed messages around consumers wanting smaller cans and actually we're passing on a... Um, our price increase in this way. As I said, it's not a unique to Coca-Cola. It's, yeah. a, it's a global thing. And everyone from, you know, our all gold tomato sauce went from 750 mils on the glass to 700. It's every, just about every category you can think of has done this um, to resize the pack and keep the price the same. In some cases, it goes up. But in this case, it, it keep this, to make this pack smaller and keep the price the same. And they, the word they use, and Coca-Cola is using it in their messaging to consumers in stores at point of sale, is, is more affordable. Mm. So they'll say, um, this is you know, great taste, um, more affordable. Um, it's not on a per litre basis. It's not on a per litre basis, no. but it's saying we're making sure that you don't have to spend more. We're giving you slightly less, but maybe that's a better option. You won't really miss it. And yet you know, this whole there, there are a lot of dynamics at play. But yeah. I have a, a problem when it's done sneakily. stealthily. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and, and positioned as something different from what it actually is. I mean, prices are going up. Um, d- petrol, everything. Obviously, it means there was a knock on impact, it's co- yeah. costing more to produce the food, the, the processed food and drink that we are buying. So, it's not that they shouldn't put their prices up. It's just a question of is this, is this the way to go? Is this the best for for everybody, consumers, the environment, the company? It's just a, a really good debate, and, and I'm all for that. For that, as long as, as I say, it's not done sneakily. It's yeah. the same reason I have a problem with on-the-road fees that, that dealerships impose. But it's not transparent, than, yeah. It's not transparent, yeah. They, yeah. they legitimate cost that they must pass on to us, but do it in a transparent way. Absolutely. That's, that's the issue for me. We've got a, call, a couple of callers want to comment on packaging. We're going to start with Andre in Ridgewood. Good afternoon, Andre. Good afternoon, guys. How are you doing? Well, thanks. And you? On the go, can't complain. Thank you. Very interesting topic. Thank you very much. It's thanks. actually... Uh, Refreshing for a change to see that people are taking note of sizes of, uh, of, of items. Um, as a consumer and as a business owner, I noted this as well a while back. 
um, especially with the soft drinks or cool drinks, as we prefer calling them, that the the containers or cans, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, is actually getting smaller. But if you're looking at something like a chips packet, the packet's getting bigger because it's all about visual marketing. And I think this is basically what it's aimed at, in my opinion. And it comes down to visual marketing. It looks more or less the same, but your content is less. Yet, they don't advertise that the content is less. Mm. Imagine somebody like Coca-Cola had to put out the, about a year ago, that this new, this new uh, bottling started in the 440 mall. Guys, we're reducing it like a mass marketing campaign. People will actually go crazy because, you know, what are you doing to us? It's from, a, yeah. from a business owner's perspective, I believe in, in giving my, my clients quantity and quality at an affordable price. So when I, when I sell, make my burgers, sell my burgers, I put my best into it, you know, and I've had no complaints about it because they feel they get what they, what they paid for. And that's what I strive throughout things. When I go to the shop as a consumer, same thing. If an item costs 40 rand, but you're only getting 700 grams for it, why would you not rather have a look at the various options and see if you can get something that has got 900 grams, more or less the same price? People are not very wise that way. They look at it, oh, I want this. Visually, this is appealing, this is pleasing. That's why we purchase it. People purchase on emotion instead of from a business aspect of things. Andre, very, very good comments. And then, Wendy, I'm sure you'd agree that uh, we need to make an effort as consumers to be a bit more vigilant about really looking at what we're buying and taking note yes. of that detail. And looking at unit prices as well. So yeah. that you get the actual price and, and you're comparing you, pairs you with eliminate pairs, yeah. the pack size from the equation, yes. Jenny Absolutely. in Plumstead also wants to talk about shrinkflation, but on a completely different product. Jenny, good afternoon. Hello. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's peanut butter. Mm-hmm. I'm a 78-year-old woman, and I'm passionate about it. Now, I tell you, the, the brand that I buy is perfect as far as presentation and wording, but the contents, the bottle itself, is so embossed that when you come near the end, you've got to end up checking your fingers in to get into all the grooves. Yep, I've had that struggle as well, Jenny. I bet every mommy makes peanut butter sandwiches <laughs> for lunchbox can relate. <laughs> it's so expensive so as well. I use it it's an interesting question because, I'll of course, Wendy, you you, you, you've been looking into packaging and packaging awards in all kinds of wonderful shapes and sizes. Yes. Uh, what's the answer? Well, I think in the case of that brand, which, by the way, I purchase, um, I have an 18-year-old son who likes to use that as a good source of um, protein. And um, children being children, he likes to just leave a whole lot of unused product because it's too hard to get out. So I use a spatula. I have a special peanut butter jar spatula that I use. <laughs> but... Um, I think to answer your question, Jenny, it's there's a lot of brand equity in 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 certain iconic packs and pack shapes, and I would imagine that that is at play in in the case that you're talking about. Okay. That um, yeah, for them to change the shape completely wouldn't be um, wouldn't be good for them in terms of of the, the the brand that's that's tied into that shape. Does that make sense? Jenny, so just one thing. Yes. At the end of it, after all the four children I've had, the youngest is 47. They still eat peanut butter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're all still eating it. Jenny, thanks for your call. Uh, before we go to the break and move into open line, let's take a listen to a couple of voice notes. Hi, Pippa. Uh, just on the beer story, the reason you don't really want to keep beer in a container without consuming it fairly quickly is it'll actually oxidize over time with contact with oxygen and 
then it doesn't taste so good. Thanks, job. On the topic of recycling, it's so much more useful to have a 500 ml bottle. It's exactly half a liter. If I need to measure something for any other purpose, I can use a 500 ml bottle. What am I going to ever need 440 mils for? I prefer uh, Damien just to play devil's advocate. <clears throat> Maybe what they mean by convenient is that, you know, the sort of 10 rand price is the is what people are prepared to pay for a fizzy cool drink i mean i don't know about you but i wouldn't pay 13 rand for a can of cool drink so maybe they figure 10 rand is the convenient price for a drink and if they can't put the price up they've got to reduce the amount that they're selling because let's i mean the input costs go up every year 10 percent year on year it's maybe a little bit high but i mean how long has a can of coke been between eight and ten rand a good couple of years now so if they're not putting their prices up they've got to account for the increases in input costs and labor etc etc not that i don't think they're a bunch of scaly thieves but on the other hand it's either that or you've got to pay like 12 rand a can of cool drink which maybe isn't all that convenient yeah, and the Damon's hit the nail on the head there, Wendy. That the, that the, the, the sort of the thinking is, if you have a customer who only has ten rand in their budget to spend on Coke, rather give yes. them an option that they can buy for ten rand than well, have them not be able to spend that yes. ten rand because it's now twelve rand. Absolutely, and that's why I made the point um, with the word affordable. They're using the word affordable in their in their marketing in stores. But I don't think the, finan- the, the, the convenience that was being mentioned again and again in terms of pack sizes was around financial convenience. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's a rather curious way to word it. Mm. Um, they normally go for the words, uh, you know, more affordable. Um, I, I got the feeling that the, they were alluding to more the shape of the can and the smaller, you know, um, look of it. Um, I might be wrong, but uh, that's really why I wanted to hear back from our listeners on, on whether they felt that was a more convenient option or not. Right. Well, let's um, hear from Hussey, yeah. who's on the line from Grassy Park. Afternoon, Hussey. Good afternoon. Uh, the size of the can, uh, 340 to 330, uh, it's a huge uh, marketing and I would call it even greed concept from the producers. Uh, you know how they transport and package they have it on pallets, and you have so many cans on a pallet, and then so many layers of cans per pallet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if each can, which now is 340 to 330, the can is maybe two or three millimeters lower in size. It means, ultimately, when you've got, say, 30 layers of cans on a truck, you can now get 31 layers of cans on the truck. And one layer of cans could be 2,000 cans or something. So they're taking out of their, uh, their, their factories more Coke at, uh, uh, for the same price or even for more expensive, but they're getting more of their product onto the road at, a, at the same cost when it comes to transport and packaging. Unless, to be fair, it's not at the same price for transport and packaging because, Wendy, we know with petrol prices going up, the distribution costs will have gone up too. Yeah, and also, I mean, there would be an environmental imperative as well, which is why you're having the same reason you're having light weighting and glass products in order to um, reduce its carbon footprint in terms of you know, um, transport and everything else. And I'm not sure that those cans would be lower because they I haven't yet to see them in store, but... Um, 
they look to be slim lined, so they would be the same height but maybe thinner. That's what my impression. And also, mm-hmm. this is not 3340 to 330 mils. This is now from 330 mils down to 300 mils. That's, That's 50 mils quite substantial, yeah. It's more substantial than the previous downsizing, yeah. Okay. Thanks for your calls. We'll take a short break and then come back. I'm happy to keep taking calls and voice notes on packaging, but we're also happy to move into other consumer issues. It is an open line after this on 021-446-0567. Consumer Talk. Open Line. Right, uh, your calls to 021-446-0567 as we t- continue to talk consumer matters with Wendy Nola uh, on a completely different subject. An SMS coming in uh, wondering if anybody else has had problems with the online uh, order service Wish. This person says, I ordered stuff on Wish, but it never arrived. They've now given me a refund, but I find it very frustrating because I really needed those items and I was excited about the purchase. I feel cheated and I feel like a false sense of hope was created. Giving a refund is isn't good enough. Um, uh, I'm wondering if other listeners have had similar experiences with Wish. Uh, Wendy, have you encountered any uh, complaints around that particular service? Not about that. The, uh, the normal reason I have uh, a Wish, compa- I get a Wish complaint is because the person, the buyer, has not realised that they will be made to pay a service fee by the post office. We've talked about this on yes. the show, which is around 25 rand for the smaller sized. Um, parcel and um, 50 for the bigger one um, because if you order a few things they send them all separately so that can add up to quite a bit at the post office yeah. but I have some sympathy with Wish on this score because we know what's going on with the South African post, post office, office so yeah. um, if they dispatch it and it doesn't arrive the only thing they can do is refund and, and they've done that so now it's a case of buyer beware on the part of that particular consumer and others who think, well, I'm not willing to take the risk and or I'm not willing to now on top of what I've paid have to pay a service fee to to the post office. So yeah. I'll rather um, choose another retailer. So, Just to recap yeah. what the post office said last Friday, they are sitting with 38 million pieces of mail in their depots which need to be sorted and delivered. Uh, that's the backlog from the strike in July. So um, uh, you know, all the I mean, the complaints about the post office are streaming in again, Wendy, and that's uh, the nub of, of a lot of them is that it is backlog as a result of that strike. They've cleared, I think, 7 million already and another 38 million pieces it's still just, to go. It's been the story, um, going back to other strikes as well, it's been the story for oh, a good three years now at least, um, just not being, they're just not able to, to recover and um get back to the service levels that they had before. Um, posting mail out and parcels doesn't seem to be a problem. It's the st- incoming stuff that uh, is a big problem. So yeah. if you are um, choosing to buy stuff from an uh, e-commerce site that's based overseas, interrogate what the purchase price includes and doesn't include and how they will send it, whether it's by, by courier or post office, because courier would, would clearly be the one to choose at the moment. Okay, thanks for that feedback. Um, Jane on the WhatsApp asking whether it is legal for insurance companies to insist on premium payments by debit order only. I'm not entirely sure, but um, I know that companies, they, they have, they're not... Um, they're not f- forced to um, give in, you know, to, to extend cover to anybody. And they, if they do, they can do it on their terms. And I think um, they will argue that, um, you know, it's not to the consumer benefit if um, they forget to make a premium payment because it puts their cover in jeopardy should they have an incident that need to claim and, they, and they're and they not in good standing. Um, and that um, there's a 
statistics will show that um, payment in other ways, in other words, when it's up to the consumer to actually remember and pay on time, is not reliable. So I, I can source some more um, uh, correct or um, I get confirmation of that from the insurance association, but that would be my gut feel on on that one that that's uh, you know they they would have the right then to insist that they are going to debit order you okay um, right, uh, Don had a bad experience yesterday. He says, I received a call at about quarter to nine yesterday morning from a telecom call center. The consultant proceeded to harangue and insult me while attempting to force me to accept a new free me contract. When I told her I would be retaining my current contract, she told me it's been discontinued by telecom. I asked if the call was being recorded and she confirmed it was. I feel like I should follow up. Do you think it would be worth my while? Absolutely. In fact, um, given that consumers are having a bit of a trouble getting hold of telecom themselves, um, you're welcome to go through me and I'll request um, the call recording. I'm, I'm in the midst of a call recording dispute query with Telcom's media office at the moment. So. Oh, so that's good timing. Don, won't you yes. drop the details in an email, please, to consumer at nola.co.za, spelled K-N-O-W-L-E-R. Uh, uh, if you're driving and you can't jot that down, you're welcome to forward it to me, Pippa H at capetalk.co.za, which you might have on file, um, and uh, we'll pass it on to Wendy to uh, add to uh, the one she's already dealing with. Just a reminder, anybody who's sending us a question for Wendy, please put the words Cape Talk in the subject line and just a word or two to describe the nature of the problem. So Don, just say Cape Talk, uh, Telcom Consultant, Free Me, or something like that, so Wendy knows to look out for it uh, like that. The other way, by the way, of contacting Wendy is via her Facebook page. Wendy, it's Wendy Nola Consumer, yes? That's the one, yes. Okay. And there's a tab there which is uh, send email, so that's pretty easy. Very easy to do. You to remember an address, yes. Okay, that's thanks so much. Page. Zuki has responded on the Wish complaint saying the plus side of ordering from Wish.com is that if your package doesn't arrive on time, they will refund you. And if the order does then arrive after that, they don't even expect you to send it back. That's interesting. So Zuki's obviously had uh, quite positive experiences with them. Zuki, thanks uh, so much for that feedback. Um, right, uh, we can take, I think, a couple more calls to 021-446-0567 and voice notes to 0725671567. In the meantime, a quick one from Clem, wondering, can you swap a clothing item if it's been given as a gift and it's the incorrect size? Uh, it very much depends on where it was bought, doesn't it, Wendy? It does, because legally they, they don't have um, an obligation to take back anything that's not defective. So it boils down to a company's um, individual um, choice on what they're going to do as a, uh, with that as a customer service. So, um, yeah, if it was the incorrect size, you're at their mercy. Um, sometimes they will insist on a on proof of purchase, other times not. If they can clearly see it's their stock and in a resellable condition, they will do you a favor. But the bottom line is you don't have any legal rights, and so you, you need to play nice and um, appeal to their um, customer their service will, yeah. um, imperative and their goodwill and, and hope that they do it. But the, the, the advice there is if you're buying a gift for somebody, don't just say to the store, can I bring this back? They'll say, yes, you're thinking refund, they're thinking exchange or a credit 
on these certain con- conditions. So always interrogate what they mean by that, what they would require in order to take it back and what they would then do. Would they refund or would they um, credit or exchange? And it's very seldom a refund. Yeah. Well, the similar one will apply then to Anonymous who had uh, um, uh, bought a socket from Tool Time in Kales River and unfortunately I'm not able to use it um, as it doesn't suit the extension bar I intended it for uh, to yeah. use to service my washing machine. I try to take it back but they've refused to take the socket back and refund me i haven't used it um what rights do i have the point is it's not their fault that you bought the wrong one for the job at hand is it wendy absolutely not it's you're supposed to do your homework before you buy a product so that's you have rights as well as responsibilities as a consumer um so i always ask consumers who are arguing this i say if you were the retailer would you want to lose a sale every time somebody made a mistake yeah you know most of them would say "Mm, i would rather do an exchange and i said well that's that's right and so he's saying this anonymous is saying they're refusing to take it back and refund me I'm assuming in most cases, if it was still in the, in its, you know, if they could still resell it, um, they, and there was a, re, a proof of purchase, they would take it back and let him get something else for the value, you know, for that value rather than refunding him. And that is actually considered very fair because legally they could say, sorry for you, I'm not taking it back at all. Mm. So I think consumers, a lot of consumers misunderstand this, um, still seven years on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's always good to have at least one of these questions every show just to get the you know try and hammer the message home so that we avoid these um, consumer disputes, unnecessary consumer disputes um, at customer service counters all throughout the land. Yeah, Wendy, just in closing, two messages: one coming in from Jim last week and one from Anwar now, both commenting on the same issue. Who is enforcing Consumer Protection Act at Chinatown malls because they don't seem to know that the CPA exists. Jim saying mm-hmm. they won't give any guarantee on goods. They also insist on cash payment. And he says the owner chased me away when I queried this. Uh, Anwar just saying they're completely uncompliant. Uh, is anything to your knowledge being done to chase up on that? The only time I've heard of compliance in these uh, Chinese malls and stores is with regard to tax. Of course, SARS is very efficient. As for the CPA, not so much. I, I've been saying for years, and I've done some, you know, I've gone into these malls myself as an exercise. I've seen um, security being called on someone who was demanding a refund for something that was defective, a little um, bicycle she'd bought for her son. Um, all I can say is tata machance. If, if you go and buy at those outlets, if on the understanding that you, they will not... Um, they will not abide by any CPA or anything else. Um, they they just get away with being a law unto themselves, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. So, you know, the prices may be good, but there's a huge downside if something goes wrong. Um, uh, they just will not. Well, I'm sure there have been some cases where it's happened, but I only hear about the cases, and there are many, where it doesn't happen, and, and they can be rather aggressive about it. The customer service... Um, ethic just doesn't is not um, widespread, shall we say? It's not the dominant ethic um, in those stores. So, so yeah, be warned and um, shop knowing that you don't have any recourse, or you're most likely not to have any recourse. That's where we must leave it uh, for today. Unfortunately, Wendy, thank you so much for being with us, and we'll chat again next week. Thanks, Pippa. We'll do.